Our Father God, we have heard thousands of stories about what you're like, and most of them uh, so far off target. We're so glad that you are a loving Heavenly Father. You are the Creator Almighty of this universe, and we worship you. Thank you that you made people in your image, and that Jesus came and died for us, that we have worth and value, and you are delighted to see your children together in Christ's name. Amen. Well, welcome. Who can tell me what the sermon was about last week? What's that? Love God. Bam. You got it, Charlie. (coughs) You got it. It was like a swell. There was a wave coming from the back. So Charlie asked me to do the second part. What an honor, Charlie, to uh, do the second part of the uh, vision statement of the church. Now, I'm kind of old school. <coughs> Back in the day when we started Church of Carbondale, anybody remember what the uh, vision statement motto was? A fun place to get serious with God for people who have given up on church but not on God. Now, that's pretty good for 20 years, but we wore it out. <laughs> and a place, you know, a place doesn't have a whole lot of warmth to it. So, Back in 2010, <clears throat> God led us into changing the vision statement to, who can tell me what that was? Brought the life to bring life. Brought the life to bring life. And we changed the whole name of the church because uh, with the vision of brought the life to bring life, a place, even though a fun place, get serious with God, just did not cover it. And uh, the orchard and, and, and all, just so much supernaturally organic and sustainable all those good words those good buzzwords that people love in the valley and so uh i uh stepped down as senior pastor back in uh, 2013 charlie took over lead pastor and uh has led us well but one of the best things he's done is that he has invigorated the church with a new vision statement and what is that Whoa, I am so proud of Charlie. Um, I got to see kind of behind the scenes as he was going through um, changing our uh, vision statement as God kind of revealed that to him. He led the staff, maybe the elders, through a study of uh, uh, what uh, Scotty McKnight calls the Jesus Creed, which is the Shema. And when we say the Shema, we say it like this. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Now, that really wasn't that good, right? Let's do it again. You can say it. Here we go. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Cool. Now, the Shema is an interesting concept. Actually, what that, uh, that is a, uh, what they call it, transliteration of a Hebrew word, which means to hear. And it comes from Deuteronomy 6, where the first word is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one God. Love the Lord your God. <clears throat> now, that, that became a daily prayer that all good Jewish people prayed twice a day, once in the morning, once at night. And uh, as they prayed that, They were remembering that God brought the Israelites out of Egypt, brought them to the promised land. They were, were, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind. That's thousands of years old, back 
back in Moses' time. How startling do you think it was back in Moses' time for any deity to say, love me? No, there just wasn't much of that going on. I mean, they wanted you to kill your kids and, and, and sacrifice and, and cut yourself up. And, but there was no love God thing going on at all when this word was given to the Israelites. Now, we're going to go to Luke chapter, I think it's 10. Uh, Luke 10. And we're going to just read the first part here because in verse 25. Luke 10, 25. Uh, I think, Charlie, you preached on this back in the uh, flow through Luke, right? Uh, On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, what did eternal life mean to that expert in the law in that day and time? Was he thinking about going to heaven and riding snowmobiles when he died? What was eternal life? You see, in our day and time, pretty much we equate eternal life with heaven, a disembodied state somewhere up in the sky. But that's not what Jesus said eternal life is. Did you know that Jesus himself gave us a precise definition of eternal life? Now, if you don't write anything else down today or remember anything, remember this. Write down John 17 3 you all know john 3 16 john 17 3 is a crucial passage where jesus on the night before he died was teaching his disciples john 17 3 jesus gives us a definition of eternal life you ready now this is eternal life that they may know you the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. What is eternal life? It's a relationship. It's not a place. It's a relationship. Eternal life is knowing God and Jesus Christ whom he has sent. Now we're going to see how this really makes a difference later. Remember the song, I've heard thousands of stories about what you're like. Jesus revealed the Father, God, and said eternal life is a relationship of knowing and being known by God. So the Shema <coughs> was, a, uh, was this passage from Deuteronomy. Back in the day, the Jewish people were instructed to wear phylacteries. Have any of you ever worn a phylactery? Haven't seen one around. What is phylactery? It is a black box about this square that you wear on a strap on your forehead. Not one of those straps to keep the sweat off your head. This is a leather thong. Phylactery was a black box, and in that box was Deuteronomy chapter 6, which you heard. Hear, O Israel, Lord's one God, love the Lord your God. Deuteronomy 11, which said if you obey, you get all kinds of good stuff. And then uh, uh, Numbers 15, which said, uh, on the edge of your garments, uh, put a tassel and weave a blue thread in there. And that will remind you of the law. Now, there were three sections in that little black box. And I told you what the passages were in that black box. The phylactery. 
There were three sections. Was Leviticus 19.18 in the box? No. Now, what's Leviticus 19.18? What is it? Love your neighbors yourself. How come it didn't make the black box? <coughs> this is really cool. Um, after the uh, Jewish people were exiled from Israel and the Babylonia, and as they started coming back, they were serious about keeping the law and being faithful. So the predecessors of the Pharisees actually kind of re-energized uh, this whole phylactery thing. And uh, it became a status symbol, so much so that Jesus said in uh, Matthew, I don't know, 25 or so, he said, you guys have your status symbol by how big your phylactery is. You make them bigger. You make the tassels longer. So it changed from being a devout prayer of a loving relationship to being a status symbol. And Jesus added something in Luke I'm sorry, Leviticus 19.18, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And until Jesus said this, no good Jewish person would say, and the second like it, do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against anyone among your people, but love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. Now, Leviticus 19 is sort of the bargain bin of uh, instructions and stuff. I mean, we're not talking about the front line here. Leviticus, you know what, here's what else Leviticus has. Don't hold back the wages of a hired worker overnight. Oh, and here, here's the good one. Don't wear clothing woven of two kinds of material. Let's see, love the Lord your God, all heart, soul, mind, and strength. And don't wear clothes with two kinds of, no. Jesus picked out verse 8, the second part of verse 18. Now, why did he do that? <clears throat> On whose authority did this backwater rabbi from Galilee add to the Shema that had been in force for 2,000 years. And why didn't they contest him on it? Now, here's something very interesting. If you happen to have a chronological Bible, this is the New Testament, Harmony of the Four Gospels. Some of you asked me about it from when I spoke last. This gives you the four Gospels in the chronology of how they actually happened. But like we're studying in Luke, but if you want to look in here and see what did Matthew, Mark, or John say about what's happening in Luke, you can do that. Now, here's something interesting that we know from the chronological Bible. When the, uh, the guy asked Jesus in Luke 10 about the, uh, how can he have eternal life, that was in Galilee, about midway in Jesus' ministry. But later on, during the last week, probably on Tuesday before Jesus died on Friday, a uh, teacher of the law came to him in Jerusalem. Now, this is why this is significant. Listen to this. This is in Mark uh, 12, 28. One of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating. Noticing Jesus gave him a good answer, he asked, of all the commandments, which is the most important? Now, you've heard before there are 613 commandments plus the 10 big ones. Uh, which one's the most important? I guess the rabbis must have debated about this. <clears throat> I bet don't wear clothes of two materials never made the top ten list. And he asked, what's the, what's the great? And the most important one, answered Jesus, is this. Shema, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. Okay, now what is that? 
We all know what that is. That, that's the Shema. They've been praying that for uh, 2,000 years. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Uh, and the second is this. Um, excuse me, Rabbi. Wait, I just I asked for the uh, number one. I, I, I wasn't looking for a number two. I'm not after a list. What do you mean? The second is like, love your neighbors yourself. There's no greater commandment than these two. Now, now listen to this. This is very important. The teacher, well said teacher, you're right in saying that God is one and there's no other but him. To love him with all your heart, your understanding, your strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself is more important than all burnt offerings and sacrifices. You see, by the end of Jesus' ministry, the leaders of the Jewish faith, the lawyers of the law, had so been moved that they accepted Jesus' addition to the Shema? It is absolutely incredible. Jesus added to it a horizontal and love your neighbor as yourself. Absolutely astounding that in the last week before his death, the uh, teachers of the law were agreeing with him that there needed to be an addition to the Shema. So, let's go to this part now. Uh, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. If I were to give you 60 seconds to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, what would you do first? How would you go about that? It's kind of nebulous, kind of slippery, isn't it? I mean, we might get Cara to play some more songs. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Something about that, though, is focused, isn't it? <clears throat> Just like love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength is above love your neighbors yourself. Do you remember the Ten Commandments? Shall have no other gods before me. Don't make any images. Don't use my name in vain. Remember my Sabbath day and keep it holy. The first four, the top ones are about God. The bottom ones are about loving, you know, honoring your parents. Don't kill, don't steal, don't lie, don't commit adultery, and don't covet. Now, do you see how the pattern there is? If you get the top right, you get the bottom right. In, in both the Shema and the Ten Commandments. But you, if you miss the top part, then the likelihood of you getting the bottom part right is, is pretty low. Because guess what? The top part empowers the bottom part. You go to God to be empowered to do the horizontal. The law has no power or motivation in it as law. But when you love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, <clears throat> it is an empowerment that then flows in expressions of love, love your neighbor as yourself. And so I don't know how you get the first part right. I don't know what you do. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Uh, I think it's kind of like a solar panel. <clears throat> you know, we have solar panels on the roof. Guess where we have those oriented toward? The sun. It's not going to do you a lot of good if you orient a solar panel toward a rock. Right? Or even a river. I mean, rivers are cool. But you're not going to get any electricity out of a river using a solar panel. So if the first part of the law, Ten Commandments, and the Shema, Jesus' Creed, is the solar panel that orients us toward the sun, S-U-N, S-O-N, toward the sun, toward God, and, and uh, energizes us. 
For those who are rightly related to God through Jesus Christ, the horizontal commandments, don't lie, don't steal, don't kill, don't do adultery, those aren't commands, those are empowerments. Think about it differently. Those aren't just commands. Those are empowerments. Those are an expression of your new identity. The person you are in your love of God goes around not killing people. Goes around not stealing stuff. Because you are secure and well-resourced in your relationship with God. You're empowered. So the first part, <clears throat> love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. We got to go back and build on Charlie's sermon from last week and realize that that enables us. Now, how does it enable us? Um, when you're worshiping God, when you're loving Him with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, what's God doing? If you have a little kid, three, four years old, and your little child comes in and says, Mommy, Daddy, you're the best mommy in the world. What are you doing if you're that mommy and daddy? You're getting out some money to buy some ice cream. <laughs> I mean, you are focused. I mean, I mean, here's this kid that threw a tantrum, you know, 15 minutes ago. You're the, you're the, oh, honey, come here. I love you so much. Do you have any idea the delight in your father's eyes when you turn your solar panel, when you turn your focus, your heart toward him? Do you have any idea of the love that he is pouring out into you? When you are loving him, loving a rock doesn't do a lot for us. But when you love God and his love for us soaks us, well, let me just ask you, what does it feel like when somebody, what did it feel like when you felt the best loved you've ever been loved? How did you feel? Were you up? Down, up. Uh, were were, were the, the colors brighter? Were the bird songs better? I mean, were, were things just, was life better? Did you feel better about yourself when you were just so well loved? Remember Huey, Huey Lewis and the news? A power of love. Like a grown man cry and some man weep. And, and I'm the... Some teenage boys, when they are touched by that love and feel that love, they take showers without even being asked. Because being well-loved affects you to the deepest of who you are, and it changes you. It makes you feel valuable. And hopefully, in the best way, it makes you feel secure in that person's love. It makes you feel special, valuable. And certainly with a Almighty God, creator of the world, when it says God so loved the world, you, that who, when you believe in him, that Jesus died on the cross for you, you wouldn't perish but have eternal life. When you come into that relationship with God through Jesus Christ, you realize that you must be worth something or he would not have let his son die for you. Your value shoots up. Your identity changes from a whatever you were 
to a beloved child of Almighty God. Your purpose changes. The Bible says that when we come into that relationship with God through Jesus Christ, we are not only just forgiven, not only just cleaned up, but that we are made righteous. We are made holy. Now, a person who's truly empowered by holiness doesn't need to go around cussing and stealing stuff because that's not who they are. You are so forgiven. Do you ever feel like you need to kind of flinch when you come into God's presence? You know, hoping that he kind of forgot what you did, you know, last Saturday night. The Bible tells us there is no condemnation. That we can approach his throne with great, with, with great confidence. That when you come before God, you come not, not tainted by the last three things that you did, but you are coming in empowered by the last three things Jesus did for you. Giving his life, dying, rising again. That's who you are. That's who you are. You are precious. You are valuable. You are special. You are beloved. You have an identity. And now you're ready to love people as you love yourself. You see, before that, before you go to God and you get all of that about yourself, there may not be a whole lot to love. Am I right? But when you're in God's presence, and he's just, I often ask people this, to envision the face of God, or the good shepherd, Psalm 23. Find the meadow, where's the shepherd? Is he looking at you? He's looking at you. Describe his face. So many people can't even describe his face. Some people are terrified because... His face is pretty disappointed. I said, hey, let's get back on the tracks of Scripture here. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Doesn't sound like he's displeased. How about, how, how much would it take for you to get in your mind's eye, using your imagination in service of your worship? What would it take for you to get to the place where when you imagine the face of Jesus, he's smiling with delight and looking at you? Oh, yeah, there he is. There's Doug. Oh, I'm so glad to see you. What Does that change things? Oh, it changes everything. You will... This is harsh. I don't think you'll get the Christian life right until you get your identity in Christ right. Because unless we get, unless we get that identity right then we often are chasing a moral behavioral performance standard. But when we realize by His grace we are forgiven, we are clean, we are righteous, we are perfect in holiness, then I don't want to live like I used to live. I want to, it gives me the ability to love myself. Now, if you didn't love God and get all that good stuff, by the way, are you, are you guys getting this so far? That if you really love God with all your heart, soul, mind, you guys in the balcony, you got that? With all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, that you're on the receiving end of more than you're giving? Are you getting that? And it changes you? It empowers you? Okay. What if you didn't have God? 
There are a thousand stories about deity. Do you realize there are world religions that don't even have a God? I mean, you're not going to get too cuddly with that. And, and many of the world religions, the God is distant or belligerent, uninterested. No cuddling there. And in some of the world religions, the God is um, just an impersonal force that is the same as the um, life that lives in a rock or something. You're not cuddling that either. Do you realize that when Jesus revealed the Father, we're going back John 17, 3, when Jesus revealed the Father, God the Father, He gave us the opportunity of a loving relationship that would give us worth and identity. It, it's interesting, Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father. That's so misquoted. It doesn't say no one gets to heaven without me. No one comes to the Father. And there's nowhere else you'll see that, that relationship, father, child, that Jesus brings us to. But if we didn't have that, and we turned our solar panel at anything in the world, then our self-worth and our ability to love ourselves goes down. Why is that? If you look into the mirror of the world's standards for how a person should look, how many of us make the grade? How many of us look into the mirror and we don't like all that we see about ourselves? How many of us think back through the last 24 hours and we don't like what we thought, what we did? How many of us think back to our childhood and we hear those voices, you're worthless, you'll never amount to anything, or, and, and, and worse. If we listen to the world for our value, identity, or, or our security, then, then we, are, um, we, we don't have anything. Now, when Jesus said, love your neighbor as you love yourself, agape, love your neighbor. If you don't love yourself, how can you love your neighbor? Now, on one hand, you can love, on the one hand, we love ourselves. We, we look out for our interest. We care for ourselves. We will put ourselves first. Um, you know, we break in line to get something first. Uh, on the one hand, but that's a selfish kind of love for ourselves. On the underside of that, as love your neighbor as you love yourself, is that we don't often like ourselves. So how are we going to love our neighbors we love ourselves if part of our love for ourselves is selfish and it's hard to transfer that to others? And we don't like ourselves, on the other hand. And when you don't like yourself, is it easy to like other people? If you don't like yourself and how you look, is it easy to like people who look really good? Oh, no. I mean, we find ways to rip them off, you know, to knock them down. That person's a jerk. When you don't like yourself and don't like how you look, how do you feel toward people who you think don't look as good as you? You feel superior. You're not loving people. When you don't like yourself, it's hard to love people. What if, what if you can't love other people any more than you like yourself? What if you can't allow other people to love you any more than you like yourself? Have you ever sabotaged another person's love for you? 
how do we fix this lacking of ourselves? Which is the basis of identity and self-worth. I don't know of any other way other than to understand and recognize that Almighty God made me in His image, purposefully endowed me with all kinds of uh, aspects of personhood, relationship, and that Jesus, when He saw I couldn't work my way to Him on my, on my own, He died for me and rose from the grave. And He takes away all that stuff I don't like about myself. And the comparisons that I used to set up to evaluate my worth with the world's performance standards or appearance standards don't, uh, uh, don't apply anymore. It's really who he is, who he says I am, that works and applies in me, through me, about me. And now I'm free. <clears throat> I can love other people. I can love other people as I love myself because in myself, as God has loved me and saved me, there's a lovable person there. Must be. I mean, the God of the universe loves me. I must be lovable. I can walk into a room not concerned about how people will react to me. I can walk into a room and I can come to be able to give love and approval to people who are desperately seeking it. Charlie was indicating that. And so, so often, Charlie, you've indicated how we go into a place and we, and we love other people and, and how we touch them and how different they see how we operate. Do you see if this really works, Orchard? If this really works, that when you love God, that He changes you and you can feel good about yourself, you have value and worth, and you can love other people without concern of whether or not you measure up or they will approve of you, you see how different that would be in this world? It'd be revolutionary. We would be seen as people who are safe to be around. We'd be seen as people who, when they're around us, they feel better about themselves. What a, that'd be a gift to the world, wouldn't it? I believe that's kind of what God had in mind. That we love our neighbor as we love ourselves. So how do we do that? 1 Corinthians 13. When, um, I skipped over something. I don't want to go back. 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 3 about how God changes us when we look, when we see Him and love Him. I've I got to give you this. Write it down. 2 Corinthians 318 because this tells you kind of what goes on when you're loving God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, what he's doing. We all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory. When our solar panel is oriented toward God, seeing his glory, we are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is spirit. I don't know about you, I just got a picture of somebody who who is uh, orienting toward focusing on God and the love and, the, and, and this God, and then all of a sudden you're coming, bam, zap. You know? <laughs> and this person that walked in kind of slumped or whatever, zoom. Uh, and that, that's such an uh, insignificant way to describe what happens when we are in His presence. So 1 Corinthians 13, uh, we're looking at how to actually love people. 
I don't know when the last time you went to a wedding, but you probably heard this. And it's certainly true for married couples. But Paul wrote it, 1 Corinthians 13, in the middle of a letter to a church of people who weren't getting along. And so he wanted to instruct them on how to love. How to love. Here we go. If you really want... I'm not giving these to you as a um, quality to attain. I'm reading this to you as an empowerment that you have, and all you can do is release it. Because real love is patient. I don't know why he started with that one. That's usually the test, isn't it? With our spouses or, or our uh, kids or with our customers or fellow workers. Um, this always lets me know when I feel a stir of impatience. Oh, I need to go back. Love on God a little more because I'm not going to grip my teeth and be more patient. I, I'm, not really, I'm not really good at being patient on willpower. You know how that comes across? So this love is patient comes from a heart that has been in the presence of God and received His love, His security, the assurance of His approval of me, that He has got my life and this person that pulls out in front of me is not going to disrupt that reality. Love is patient. Love is kind. So this is just real practical how you express the love your neighbor as yourself. Love is kind. It doesn't envy and want to look like somebody else. It doesn't boast. It's not arrogant, not proud. It doesn't dishonor other people. It's not self-seeking. I mean, when you're really, when you're really feeling loved by Almighty God, your Heavenly Father, through Jesus Christ, you don't have to seek your own way got you covered uh not easily angered this is another one of those dials on the dash that lets us know when we're getting low on the father's love irritation keeps no record of wrongs did you know there's no record of your sins in heaven it's not just that god's got them somewhere in a file or on a hard disk and if you mess up again he's going to bring them out did you know there is no record of your wrongs in heaven? Then why should there be a record in your heart of your wrongs? It will just diminish your ability to love yourself and love others. For some of us, the person we most need to forgive is ourselves. And there shouldn't be a record of wrongs in your heart for your spouse or anybody else. You realize when you've been freed of the wrongs that we've committed against God, other people's wrongs are nothing. Let's live with freedom and abandon. Love doesn't delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. Love protects. Love doesn't share that morsel, that tidbit of gossip about a co-worker. Love protects. Trust, hopes. Love is tough, it perseveres, and this love never fails. One other passage in Philippians tells us how to love. Paul, again, is writing to the church there so that they can truly understand what it means to love each other, love their neighbors themselves. 
Isn't it interesting? Sometimes we think that all Jesus did was talk about love. But if you search through the Bible and, and f- find the places that Jesus taught on love, there there are just more than a dozen. When was the first time Jesus taught on love? What was the first thing Jesus said about love? Who to love? Sermon on the Mount. It, it, it's really interesting how he put this. <clears throat> he said, you have heard, in Matthew 5, 43, you have heard that it was said, the traditionalists, the religionists, you've heard it was said, love your neighbors and hate your enemy. Now we know where love your neighbor came from. Where did it come from? Leviticus 19. Where did hate your enemy come from? Came from religion. You see, they had distorted it. I mean, not only did they not put it in the box that they were on their forehead, they changed it around. Love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Are you kidding me? And Jesus said, but I tell you, love your enemies and pray for them. The first time Jesus spoke about love, he said, love your enemies. And this was to a people living in an oppressed uh, subnation of a world power. Love your, are you kidding me? The first thing he says about love is, yeah, let's start with something easy. <laughs> love your enemies. And then the next thing he said about love was to love your neighbors yourself. And then the greatest thing that he would say, a new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you. Now, it's one thing to love your neighbors yourself, right? But to love one another as Jesus has loved me, whoa. I've got to have some empowerment for that. And, and that flows out, as I said a moment ago, as described in Philippians, as Philippians 2, verse 3. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Now, vain, selfish ambition would be wanting to always get ahead. Uh, vain conceit would be thinking that I'm better than everybody else. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Not looking to your own interest, but each of you looking out for the interest of others. Love your neighbors yourself. Look out for the interests of others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. And then it goes into explaining how Jesus, the Son of God, left behind his heavenly splendor, his uh, position there, his uh, attributes of deity, became a man, became a servant, died on the cross, rose again. What's the attitude? What's the mindset of Jesus? Give it up. Serve. Look out for the interest of others. Now let's just take a moment as we close in prayer. And I want you to ask God two things. I'm going to give you the first question to ask God and give you about a minute to listen for an answer. Then I'll give you the second question to ask God and about a minute to listen to answer, okay? (coughs) Are you ready? First question. You can close your eyes if you want. Be about 60 seconds of silence. God, what do you think of me?
And as you pray that, I want you to look for his face, see his face looking at you. Look at the expression on his face. Look at it until it conforms with Scripture and he's looking at you with love and delight. For some of you, that may take a while. Find his face. Look at the expression. Look at it until it's pleasant and delightful. Second question. God, show me a mind video of me loving my neighbor as myself. Show me a mental video, an imaginary video. Show me a video of me loving my neighbor as myself. Thank you, Father, for showing us your face of delight, showing us who we are to you. And thank you for showing us uh, individually that neighbor that uh, we can love in that video. Father, I pray we will be people who will love you and love others as you love us, as we love ourselves. In Christ's name, amen. In a moment, you'll invited to come to the table to partake of the cup that Jesus said, this is his blood of the new covenant, and the bread, this is his body broken for you. Now, when you do